Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw Audio Experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. In my latest podcast episode, I talk about the increased attacks on the supplement industry that are happening across the different layers of the government. But before we get started, I would love if you took 54 seconds out of your day to leave a rating or review on whichever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. This helps me out immensely in terms of extending the reach of my podcast, but more importantly, allows me to make improvements based on your feedback. Thank you again. Now enjoy my newest podcast episode. Last year saw a rise in legislative and regulatory attacks on the supplement industry. Should we be concerned things will continue or even worse, accelerate in 2023? So some of you might remember that at the very end of my recent content regarding the revised FTC health products guidance document, I stated that whether it was that particular regulatory update, state legislators attacking supplements, federal legislators calling for the supplement industry regulatory reform, or several questionable FDA moves against the supplement industry, it should be easy to see that the government is paying more attention to the supplement industry. I went on to say that this increased attention can only mean major changes are likely ahead. So buckle up, supplement industry, things could get wild here in 2023. It was through some of the comments and direct messages that I received regarding that content, which made me realize that most of my audience was interested in learning more about what exactly is impacting the supplement industry from a legislative and regulatory standpoint. And while I could certainly provide an extensive update myself, this is a type of nuanced, trending subject matter that would undoubtedly benefit substantially from bringing on someone that's on the ground fighting these baseless proposals that would damage the supplement industry. That's why I asked my good friend, Kyle Turk, who also happens to be the Director of Government Affairs for the Natural Products Association, to join me in an insightful conversation. Here's that discussion in its entirety. So first off, Kyle, thank you for taking time out of your day to chat with me about the subject. Yeah, happy to. Uh, appreciate the time and looking forward to our discussion. Perfect. So at least from my perspective, a lot's been going on and from like either the legislative standpoint or the regulatory standpoint. And I don't necessarily think this is like recency bias causing me to say this, but um, at least in my opinion, I've been in the space for about 12 or so years that this last like yearish, um, in terms of like the supplement industry, it's become kind of public enemy number one to a level that's really like unseen in recent history. And from my point of view as like a strategist, um, I see this as like there's a growing industry that's been given like a ton more exposure because of this like recent public health event that had really like everybody 
um, a bit preoccupied for, for good reason, obviously. And then now you have, if it's the congressional or the state lawmakers or the regulatory agencies, um, they're kind of looking at this as like they need to catch up. They got some things they um, now, from the supplement industry standpoint, that they probably want to kind of work on. And then you mix that with, you know, a new Congress coming in and, and changes are probably very likely. So reflecting on like the last year and maybe even looking ahead a little bit, is this like how you're seeing it or are you kind of seeing it a little bit differently? No, I think you I think you nailed the nail on the head there. Um, the last year has been really hectic at both the federal and state level for the industry. Um, you know, talking about kind of whether it's CBD, M&M, uh, NAC, mandatory product listing, there's been a, a ton of different issues that um, the industry has faced both at the state and federal level. Um, you know, I think broadly speaking, uh, our industry has been put on notice when it comes to how lawmakers want to interact with us. I think when you look at places like California and New York, um, there are two prime examples where we've done our due diligence in um, providing evidence-based positions uh, to lawmakers, and they've kind of straight up ignored us. Thankfully, in both places, we had um, governors that listened to the science and thankfully vetoed two really important pieces of legislation. But, um, you know, looking backwards and then obviously forwards, uh, you know, the industry as a whole needs to continue to stay involved uh, from the policy perspective as well as the political perspective. Now, you mentioned a little bit of the NMM kind of, you know, dangerous precedent in, in terms of maybe how that's um, kind of being played out. But another, I guess, very recent thing that's kind of come up is the, you know, the the chatter around the CBD um, supplement petitions and just kind of how a little bit of the, uh, I guess, rhetoric um, coming out and, and saying like new framework needs to be kind of thought of. And this is, again, my, my opinion, this is, you know, uh, obviously probably not yours or the way that you would, you would uh, word it. But um, in my perspective is that like as governments, they usually mean well, but when they do kind of look at things, they tend to mess things up more than they um, they fix things. And this can really like snowball into a lot of different areas because I remember back in, it was like 2019, um, this is, you know, the height, I guess, of the CBD era. And, you know, I was making content and talking about just that weird kind of regulatory purgatory state in, you know, how do you look at that from an FDA standpoint, because are you going to go out on a limb and say X amount of CBDs allowed in food, beverage and supplements? Um, you probably don't want to get in that situation. So then it's put on Congress probably to make a decision. But again, that creates a lot of like, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, what, what could happen next? And, you know, as a, again, going back to as a strategist, I always think about this uh, saying of like, you know, you want to um, you know, dance with the one you brought to the party type of a situation over like, you know, thinking about something completely different. And I know that all this stuff is like, you know, still ongoing or whatever, but it's just things that have been going on in my head. And I'm sure a lot of other people in the supplement industry are trying to figure out like, what the heck is going on? No, you're absolutely right. And I think one point that you touched on is lawmakers do mean well. Um, unfortunately, though, when they go to change dietary supplement law, they aren't as immersed in in it as they probably should. 
Um, two really good examples of that are on the energy drink bills that you're seeing at the state level, as well as bills that are restricting access to dietary supplements. But coming back to CBD, um, just the derelict of duty from the FDA on this issue um, is disgraceful. I think we've had four or five years of the FDA throwing up their hands saying they're not sure how to create a regulatory pathway for CBD as a dietary supplement. All the while letting up, you know, I think the numbers right now is like 4,000 products on the market. Um, it's con it's confused consumers. It's confused industry stakeholders that are either looking to make products or sell products. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's killing innovation. Um, you know, I'm not on the industry side in the, in the sense that you know I make or sell products. But if I were, I could probably say to you, you know, maybe I am looking at a CBD recovery product because of FDA's inaction on this. If I'm in that position, I'm probably not going to go and in, invest in the resources it would take to bring a, a recovery product with CB in it and bring that to market. It's just not feasible with the just the gray cloud that they've put over the industry when it comes to CBD. and from our from MPA's perspective, we're going to use every tool available to us to ensure that consumers have access to safe products and that manufacturers and suppliers have clear and concise rules that they can play by, including for CBD. Now, you mentioned a few times in terms of like on the state state side, and you know, I want to talk about or get a little bit more detail from you about kind of things that are going on with some of these state bills that are restricting or prohibiting access to supplements. I know you mentioned, you know, if it's California and New York, um, I know there's some other ones and maybe you can give a little bit more detail because people might not be, I guess, fully understanding from that perspective, like what's going on, especially if they don't live in maybe some of these states or maybe they understand why those are as, as important as they can be. Yeah, sure. Happy to. And if you know, you're watching this right now and you understood the ramifications that mandatory product listing had on the industry at the federal level, then this is an issue too that you'll understand is really bad for not just consumers, but people that are looking to bring innovative products to the market. Essentially last year, what we had were six or seven states that were looking to restrict access and prohibit access to dietary supplements, most notably in the sports nutrition sector, whether it was for products marketing, muscle building, or weight management. Um, unfortunately, though, a lot of times what we had seen were these just overbroad, over draconian pieces of legislation that were going to require you and I to you know, offer up our, our driver's license when we're at the cash register to ensure that we're over 18. Um, you know, dietary supplements aren't alcohol or cigarettes. And that's how they were trying to regulate our products. And unfortunately, a lot of the talking points that we saw in places like California, New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Missouri all led to lawmakers and advocates for these bills to say, yeah, supplements are just as bad, if not worse, than uh, alcohol or tobacco, which is a dangerous thing to, to put out there into, into the universe. Um, I had the f good fortune of testifying on all of those bills. Um, unfortunately, there were a number of really misguided legislators that 
we're under the assumption that our products cause eating disorders. Um, thankfully, that's not the case. There's really good data out there um, that the FDA houses that shows that there's no correlation to dietary supplement use and eating disorders. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in New York and uh, California, Governors Newsom and Kathy Hochul vetoed those proposals. And in the other states where they were uh, brought up before uh, either the Senate chamber or the House chamber, those bills did not pass. So luckily, uh, we secured some really significant wins last year. But as we've seen time and time and again, these bills come back up. Uh, California, even though Governor Newsom uh, vetoed the bill last year, they introduced an identical bill uh, this session uh, that we're going to have to spend this year and uh, potentially next year beating. Um, essentially, in terms of the legislative process, it starts all over from square one. Um, and then in New Jersey as well, a place that uh, is home to a really big population for the natural products and dietary supplement industry. Um, they're working through the legislative process right now on their own uh, bill that would restrict and prohibit access. So the fight's not over, unfortunately, but um, you know, through NPA's grassroots network, we've already had thousands of uh, emails and phone calls into California, New Jersey this year. And last year we had about 20,000 health and wellness advocates call their legislators last year to let them know that these are really dangerous proposals for public health. Now, I know, you know, each particular case is completely different, but is there any like patterns in the sense of who is, you know, trying to, you know, create these things in the state um, legislators to, you know, get um, supplements to be restricted in certain ways? Is this something that's coming from you know, another industry, or is this coming from a consumer consumer advocacy side? Like, where are these usually coming from? So the predominant groups that are focused on supporting these pieces of legislation are uh, Striped, which is out of the Harvard School of Public Health, and then the National Eating Disorder Group of America, or something along those lines. Um, they're the two primary groups that have supported these bills. The funny thing in all of this that I think we need to focus on here though, is every time that someone goes up and testifies in support of these bills, the examples that they're using for whatever product they think caused an eating disorder is an over-the-counter drug, which you and I know are totally different from yeah. dietary supplements. So I think what we've done a really good job of doing is getting, uh, groups uh, to write their members of their state legislatures saying, hey, one, there's no correlation between e eating disorders and supplements. And two, everything that you keep bringing up to saying, oh, this product causes an eating disorder. Well, that's an, that's an over-the-counter drug. That's totally regulated differently than supplements. You know, not to quote Star Wars, but th these aren't the products you're looking for. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's, it can be frustrating at times, but as we've seen, um, when we do win, it's quite rewarding. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, you know, that even from that level, like categorical definitions or just the understanding from the public and, you know, not even necessarily from the consumer standpoint, but even some of these um, groups, they're not fully aware of what constitutes a, you know, a supplement by, you know, the definition and then what is, 
a over-the-counter drug or, you know, probably in some cases even, um, you know, pharmaceutical uh, types of things where they're uh, grouping a lot of things together and not necessarily understanding that there are distinctions there. But to kind of like flip this over to, I guess, more on the positive side, are there also states that are doing a good job at attempting to, you know, expand access to the dietary supplement market? Yeah, there there are. And, I, you know, just to kind of close off on some of the the negatives and bring it full circle, you know, this is why it's important for industry stakeholders. If you care about um, dietary supplements, you need to meet with your state and federal lawmakers. That's something that we provide at MPA. It's a great resource. You, you know, if you own a business, you have to know and be on a first name basis with your state legislators. They're everywhere all the time. Invite them to your facilities. Invite your member of Congress to your facilities. That helps bridge that educational gap that we're seeing with some of these pieces of legislation. Now, speaking to some of the positives that we've seen at the state level, I, you know, it's funny, despite lawmakers proposing to restrict and prohibit access, um, there was a member of the state Senate that has recognized the importance of our industry and proposed making July 9th creatine day in New Jersey. Um, places like Kansas, Hawaii and Connecticut have made proposals to either eliminate the state sales tax from purchases for dietary supplements or have included dietary supplements under what's eligible for purchase through supple, uh, supplemental nutrition programs. Um, at the federal level, most commonly SNAP and WIC uh, would be examples of those. And that's something that, you know, with Congress, we've pushed on. We've had success in the past where we've had bills introduced um, and we're continuing to have success at the state level where we're getting um, more and more people recognizing that, hey, you know, it might, it might just be a $12 bottle of vitamin B or D or whatever it might be. But that elimination of the state sales tax has, you know, is encouraging people to continue to buy these products. Um, I think there are 36 states now that exempt dietary supplements from the state, state sales tax. Uh, last year, we were fortunate enough to have Kansas be added to that list. And you know, I think we are of the belief that we can get to 50 um, in the near future. And that's the goal. So. I made a comment recently about a little bit of the silver lining of, of inflation. And now I'm a huge proponent of that inflation is, is one of the harshest uh, taxes, uh, even though they're not considered a technical tax, um, is one of those things that it hurts, you know, the, the most vulnerable Americans. But if we're looking at a silver lining is that the inflation has been really high towards um, at-home food or um, just food in general. And because of that, a lot of these states that had a grocery tax, which I think um, supplements are included within that, are re-looking at those taxes and saying, we shouldn't be having sales tax for grocery items. And that is starting to roll in um, and helping through this situation. And I know that it's like, it's hard to kind of look at the bright side or, or the silver lining for some of these things, but that's one that I thought was was kind of interesting and, and if we're talking about you know the tax infrastructure or just the code as a whole and there's that other element that's been you know kind of talked about for 
decades, probably, you know, maybe even before you and I were uh, born uh, in the sense of like the the health savings accounts and the flexible spending accounts and, and just how we can get supplements to be included within there. Is there some hope that any of like the recent bills or anything's going to actually get the proper amount of support um, from the federal level? Yes. Yeah, so last year we were fortunate enough to have um, Darren LaHood from Illinois and Brendan Boyle from Pennsylvania introduced bipartisan legislation that would allow uh, dietary supplements to be purchased under or through an HSA or uh, FSA. For those that don't know, it's a health savings account and a flexible spending account. Um, currently, right now, uh, unfortunately, those products aren't eligible for purchase under those programs. Uh, we want to make sure that they are. Um, during COVID, ironically enough, over-the-counter drugs were made eligible along with some other uh, carve-outs um, that were made eligible under the FSA HSA program. So um, MPA and our members are working hard to ensure that in this Congress, um, this gets seen over the pushed over the finish line. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have members of the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, being Mr. Mr. LaHood, uh, sitting on that committee, uh, which is the primary committee for jurisdiction for tax, uh, which would be responsible for this. Um, you know, he's supportive of it. Mr. Boyle is also supportive of it. He's the ranking member on appropriations right now. Uh, and then we have a number of other uh, critically important members of the House of Representatives uh, sponsoring the bill as well. So there is significant bipartisan support for something like this, and we're looking forward to not just working on this issue, but you know, seeing it across the finish line and getting this to be a place where if you have an HSA and you have dollars left over at the end of the year, you can go out and buy more zinc or iron or whatever your dietary supplement of choice might be. Now, just before I kind of let you go, and again, I appreciate all the time, Kyle, is, is something that you kind of mentioned a few times, and I want to reiterate it because I think that, you know, the supplement industry and, and even if you go down to the niche of sports nutrition, I think because there's a long tail and there's a lot of just brand creation um, and there's a lot of just, I would say, newer individuals um, coming into the space and entrepreneurs and, and really trying to you know, understand how to be, you know, good players in the market and be, you know, somebody that actually is adding value to the overall industry. Because, uh, you know, I say this a lot is that, you know, if all the tides rise, all the boats along with it go, you know, kind of join it. And it's important to think about the industry as a whole, not necessarily just thinking about, you know, yourself in the competitive landscape. And it's important that note you said about actually knowing your, congressman and from both the state level and, and from the you know federal level and making sure that they are aware of who you are and you are arguably a you know important part of their um you know economy that they are wanting to learn about you and, and it's that opportunity i guess to extend an olive branch and make sure that they're aware of the industry as a whole and and just they can you know, learn a bunch of things. It shouldn't be something that's scary. It shouldn't be something that you think, oh, just the biggest companies in the industry are going to handle. I think that it is something that everybody within the, you know, ecosystem should be thinking about this and figuring out, hey, how do we improve this? Because if 
what we're kind of mentioning, you know, all the extra attention from the regulatory side and the legislative side, um, that change can create a huge amount of ripples that would ultimately hurt a lot of the smaller businesses. I know that that isn't always um, the intent, but I do think far and away when changes do happen, a lot of times it's the small businesses that get affected the most because they don't have the resources to be able to adjust quick enough or maybe just to the level that they need to. So this is an important part of anybody within the industry to make sure that they are kind of paying attention to it and then also playing an active role within helping it. When it comes to the federal government and your U.S. senators and your House of Representatives, 55% of those members currently served at the state level, whether it's town council, county commissioner, or the state legislature. Um, so when we get involved as an industry at those grassroots levels, whether it's a facility visit, a coffee with your state legislator, um, you know, what have you, that sets the framework for the long game where, you know, that person might move up within elected office um, and they're going to have questions. There are going to be opportunities to get in front of them and and allow yourself to be the expert on certain issues, whether it's business, healthcare, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Specifically for the dietary supplement industry though, you know, if you already have that, that previous relationship and you're, you live in California and you know your state legislator, they're gonna call you up and say, hey, this bill came across my desk, what do you make of it? And if you're telling them, oh, it's not a big deal, and then a year and a half later, your sales go in the gutter because you know you essentially have to put all your products behind the counter. They have to be kept in storage. Um, you're IDing everyone from a grandmother to your next door neighbor because that's what the law now says. And then you go complain to that state legislator. It's like, well, you told me it wasn't that bad. They're gonna rely on you for that expertise um, because like it or not, they, state lawmakers and federal lawmakers can't be an expert on everything. So being able to be there and educate them on your business and how it impacts not just your employees or the, your colleagues, but the community at large is huge. And that's something that I'm proud that MPA does a really good job of engaging their members um, with their state lawmakers and federal lawmakers. Well, Kyle, appreciate all the time that you gave me, insights that you provided my audience. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, happy to. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. As you heard, lots of significant activity happening within the different layers of the government. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 